Hear the word of the Lord. And one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another, and seeing that he answered them well, asked him, Jesus, which commandment is the most important of all? Jesus answered, the most important is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. And the scribe said to him, you are right, teacher. You have truly said that he is one and there is no other besides him. And to love him with all the heart and with all the understanding and with all the strength and to love one's neighbor as oneself is much more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. And when Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. And after that, no one dared ask him any more questions. This is the word of the Lord. You may have a seat. All right. Flourishing Grace, how are we? Good? Good. As John already said, it's the week after Easter. And for us on staff, our brains are a little bit more mushy. Uh, this morning than they normally are. Uh, for those of you who are new, my name is Josh Knight, pastor of Preaching and Vision here at Flourishing Grace, and it is good to be with you uh, all this morning as we begin uh, this new series, Citizens of the Gospel, Citizens of the Gospel, and we are going to be uh, in, in, in Mark this morning. Uh, but before we do that, right, this, this season that we're entering into this morning is the season of Eastertide. Eastertide, it's this 50-day period. Uh, for those of you who maybe grew up in a church that kind of uh, celebrates and recognizes and walks through the church calendar, it's a 50-day period between Easter, the resurrection of Jesus, and Pentecost, right, the pouring out of the Holy Spirit. It's 50-day season of Easter Tide. It's a season of feasting and celebration and delight and constantly casting our minds back to the resurrection of Jesus, reminding ourselves that we have a risen King. Um, and so we are, we are just to be celebrating for the next 50 days, to, to celebrate, to, to have joy and delight and to, to, to ponder and think of all the implications of the gospel, right? We talked about this on Palm Sunday. For those of you who are here, right, the gospel is Jesus became King. And there's so many, so many implications that flow out of that, like a bazillion of them. And, and so what we want to do over the next uh, several weeks leading up to Pentecost, for the next 50 days, right, is to sit in this idea that we have been formed as a new people. And there's so many implications. We want to look at some of those implications for us. Uh, before we get into our text in Mark, uh, I want you to flip over, if you want to follow along in your Bible, I'll throw it up on the screen, but if you want to flip over and follow along, flip over to Philippians real quick. Philippians 1, um, we've not preached through Philippians here at Flourishing Grace uh, yet, but we will someday, and we'll spend a lot more time in this text. But Philippians 1, uh, Paul uh, sets kind of the context for Philippians, gives kind of the thesis in verses 27 through, I think it's like 30. Um, but I'm just going to look at 27 to get with you this morning real quick as we kind of set the context for not just this morning, but for this whole series, um, gospel, the citizens of the gospel. Philippians 1.27 reads this way. Paul says, only let, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. 
so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for your faith of the gospel. Now, this text, verse 27, that first part, is really that, it's, it's the crux of the whole book. Everything else is built on this section of Philippians 1. Paul says, only, right? The most important thing. If you forget everything else, right? If you come out of Easter and your brain is mush, don't miss this thing, right? Only, this is the one thing that matters more than anything else matters. And he goes on to give this commandment. Let your life, let your manner of life, right? Let your manner of life is actually that whole phrase, let your manner of life, comes from one Greek word, right? One Greek word is translated in our ESV version, the English Standard Version, as let your manner of life. That word is polytuthesai, polytuthesai. Um, and if you're not in the ESV, it probably says something different in your Bible than it does in the ESV, right? Which is why we're going to spend some time unpacking this. Like, normally I'm not up here being like, oh, let's look at the Greek. This That's not normally how I preach. Uh, love those guys. Love those guys, right? But poly, is this important? This is important because I think the ESV just checks it up. Polytuthisay, right, is um, this word. So poly um, is the Greek word for city, right, town, place, region, right? Poly. So uh, we see this all over the place, even to this day. Like Minneapolis, right? Minneapolis is, this, is the two words. Uh, mini is actually a Sioux Indian word uh, for water. And polis is the Greek word for city. So it's the city of water, Minneapolis. These kind of two things coming together to form this. You can, that's for free. You can use that to impress your friends later. Uh, they won't be impressed by that. Uh, polis is city, right? It's actually where we get the word politic, right? This, uh, the, the, the law, the rules of a people, a city. So polytuthisay is the people of the city or the citizens. If you got the NIV, anybody got the NIV in the room? Uh, it says citizens, right? We're citizens, and so what Paul is actually saying is this. The most important thing, don't miss this, don't fail in this. The most important thing is that you live as a worthy citizen of the gospel of Jesus. The most important thing is that you live as a worthy citizen of the gospel of Jesus. That's the most important thing in your life. How do we live as a worthy citizen of the gospel of Jesus? How do we do that? We've spent five of the last seven months wrestling through Mark, right? And the thrust of Mark, the main theme of Mark that we've seen again and again and again is the king and the cross, the king and the cross, the king and the cross, the king. That's the whole thing, especially the second half. It's like so heavy. Jesus saying, I'm going to the cross. I am becoming the Messiah. I am becoming the promised king crowned and anointed on the cross of Christ, we have a new king. And the implications of that good news, as I said a minute ago, are massive. And one of the main implications of a new king is a kingdom. And a part of a kingdom is a people. The gospel forms a people. It forms a new people, a new Israel, a new covenant people, a new bride a new people for his own choosing. And so for those in the room who have given our lives 
to Jesus as the King of kings, we have become a part of a new kingdom, a new kingdom people and a new kingdom ethic. Jesus steps into time. He puts on flesh. He dwells among us. He goes to the cross to become king, the king of all kings. At his name, every knee will bow and tongue confess that he is Lord, Kyrios, the Christ, the king of all. That's who he is. And in doing so, he has transformed us. He has made a way for us to join him in this kingdom, to be cleansed of all of our unrighteousness, to be washed white as wool, pure as snow, to have the righteousness of Christ, be clothed in the righteousness of Christ, to be a new kingdom people. This is not just one idea in this little section of uh, Philippians 1. Paul actually goes on in Philippians 3. He says, we're citizens of the kingdom of heaven, right? Uh, in Ephesians, right? Paul talks about this idea of in Ephesians 2. He says this. He says, for through him, through Jesus, we both, Jews and Gentiles, have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. It's no longer just the nation of Israel, the people of God. We have this, we're now fellow citizens, this new people, this new Israel, this new chosen people of God. First Peter talks about it. He says, man, you're no longer sojourners and exiles, right? You're sojourners and exiles. You're not, this is not your home. These are not your people outside the culture of this world, the politics of this world. It's not your politics. You do not have a political party. You do not have a cultural party. You do not have, no, you're a new people. Your politics are the politics of the kingdom of Jesus. That's who we are. We're being reformed and reshaped and remolded into his image. This is an outflowing of the gospel. And so the question that I want to ask in this series is how do we do that? How do we not, not, not completely separate ourselves from this world and run away and hide? But how do we come to the realization as we look at an empty tomb and say, no, no, we have a living, risen king? How do we become a people of the kingdom, how to become worthy citizens of the gospel. How do we do that? And so for us, my hope is for this series is that as we celebrate the risen king, that that would kind of be our motivation to be a people who live in a manner worthy of that king and his kingdom. And that we would look back and we would look at the commandments, the calls, the commissions of that king, and that we begin to model our life around it. And say, man, I want to live my life worthy of that commandment, worthy of that call, worthy of that commission, worthy of the gospel. That's who I want to be as a kingdom citizen of Jesus. I want to live my life worthy of that kingdom. And so that's what we're going to do over the next few weeks. We're going to look at commandments and calls and commissions of Jesus or say, what does it look like for me? What does it look like for, for, for my life, for my family, for my marriage, for my kids, for you? What does it look like? But then also, what does it look like for us at Flourishing Grace? This is also kind of a two-part thing. I want us to, the, the reality is we, what we've realized is that over the past couple years, uh, there's been a crazy couple years, amen? Well, yeah, right, yeah. Uh, there's been a crazy high turnover of folks at Flourishing Grace, right? Not our partners, but a lot of you have not been here for two years. Okay? Probably half this room has not been here for two years. 
Um, and, and so in that, uh, we want to kind of reset our culture. So for some of you, this will not be new, right? It'll be a lot of a refreshing. But for some of you, you're like, oh, like that's how flourishing grace is intentionally being obedient to the king. Like this commandment or this call, this commission, that's, that's how you do it, right? Everything we do at Flourishing Grace is to help you, to help us become worthy citizens of the gospel. That's what we do. It's just what, everything is built around that. And so I want to kind of show you some of those things along the way as we do this. Okay? Making sense so far? Tracking? All right. So the first thing we're going to look at is the great commandment as it's known, right? The great commandment. Jesus has asked, uh, John said this earlier, right? Uh, he, re- he read the passage for us earlier. Jesus is asked by this scribe. There's this debate going on, uh, which would have been a common thing in the day. The rabbis, the scribes, the Pharisees get together. They, do, they debate the word. They, bait, they, they, they debate the Torah and the law, right? And so the, there's this debate happening. The scribe's like, oh, I'm gonna, it's like a stump the rabbi moment. Um, and he says, all right, rabbi, what? What's the greatest commandment? Now remember, there are hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of laws that the Pharisees have built up around all these commands. And so it is a tricky question because if you say this one's greater, you're saying these aren't as important, right? That's the kind of the the hook. But Jesus doesn't even bat an eye. He's like, oh, I can tell you which one's the greatest. And he goes on to talk about, I mean, the hero Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, with all of your strength. And the second one's like it. You should love your neighbor as yourself. We're going to unpack those two things over the next two weeks. These inextricably linked commands that we cannot get away from. And Jesus says, that's, that's the greatest commandment. And then the scribe says, you know, you're right. Right? You're, you're right. He, like, he, already, he already had the answer in his mind, right? So it is a stump the rabbi moment. He's like, you're, you're right, Jesus. Like, that, those, are, those things are greater than all the burnt offerings and all of the religious activity and everything else. Like, those two things are the greatest of the commandments. And Jesus looks at the scribe and he says, you are not far off from what? The kingdom of God. You're not far off. Hey, kid, you almost got it. Like, if you can, if you can grasp that the greatest, most important thing in your life is to love God and to love your neighbor, you ain't far off from the kingdom of God. And so this is the place where we start. This is the place where we have to start. We want to be a people who are worthy citizens of the gospel. We have to start here. And so what is it? The first thing, right? We're going to look at just the love God piece this morning. We'll look at the love your neighbor piece next week. Love the Lord your God. Um, What Jesus actually quotes there is called the Shema. Okay, so he's he's not just like, Coming up with this on the spot, right? He came up with this a long, long, long time ago, thousands of years before, right? Uh, Moses is given what's called the Shema. The Shema is the core, most central doctrine and the most core central command of the people of Israel. We find it in Deuteronomy 6. I'll throw it up here on the screen for you. It reads this way. This is exactly what Jesus quoted. Deuteronomy 6, verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your might. Jesus' strength. 
And these words that I have commanded you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be to you as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. This is the central prayer, the central doctrine and the central command of the Israelite people. This is where everything else flows out of this, the Shema. The central doctrine is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. If you miss that, you cannot be obedient to the command. If you miss that, right, you cannot be a worthy citizen of the gospel. This is so fundamental. It's so important, which is why Jesus doesn't say, well, what's the most important command? Well, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind. He doesn't say that. He begins with the doctrine. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Jesus declares there is one singular God, not over this earth, over the entire cosmos, in all time and in all space and even beyond time and space, for all eternity and forever into eternity, there is one singular God. And that is a core, central, required doctrine. And if you miss it, you, you cannot be obedient to the rest. I, I prove it. Listen to me. You'd be foolish to be obedient to the rest. Because what Jesus is saying is because there's one singular God... One God in all time, in all space, in all eternity, forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. Therefore, that God is now worthy to be loved with all of your heart, with all of your mind, with all of your strength, with all of your soul. Right? Only because of that. If there is more than one God, you would be a fool to love one of them above the rest. Because what do you think the rest are going to think of you? You'd be an idiot. You'd be a fool to love one more than the rest. To say, well, I love this one and the rest, but the rest, I mean, these guys over here, they're cool, but this one is better than them. No, no, you'd be a fool to do that. You'd be a fool to do that. And so if you miss this doctrine, you, you miss the command. You cannot obey the command. You would be a fool to obey the command. To love the one singular God more than anything in the world with all that you are. That's the core of this. And the question is, how are we doing? How are we doing at that? Now, everyone of us in the room who are followers of Jesus, and I know not everybody in the room is, I'm so glad you're here. I'm delighted you're here. You are always welcome to kind of poke in and say, what do these crazy people actually do? Like, you're always welcome to do that. But for those of us in the room who are like, no, I love Jesus. I am a citizen of the kingdom. Our answer to the question, I mean, how are you doing? Are you loving God with all your heart? Is yes, I am. I, I love God more than I love anything in the world. But I want you to be careful with that answer. I want you to really consider it. I want you to consider the rest of the commandment, right? So, so not only is the Shema a doctrine and a command, but there's a system built around it. You see that? The doctrine is, to, is that there's one singular God. The command is to love that God with all the, above all things, with all that you have and all that you are. The system 
is that that is to be the center of everything, right? You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand. They shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. And if you go to Israel to this day, right, on the doorposts of the house is the law, that these devout, these devout Jews have it bound on their arm, the law. These little boxes that they wear on their forehead as a frontlets between their eyes. And inside the box is a little teeny tiny version of the law. Right? It's everywhere. And they're teaching their kids. Their kids are memorizing it from a young age. Right? This is a people fiercely devoted to the law. What's the first commandment? There we go. You shall have no other gods before me. People of Israel ever violate that commandment? Constantly, right? Read, read your Bible, right? The Old Testament is nothing but these people who are insanely more devoted, insanely more disciplined in the keeping of the law than you and I ever will be, and they can't even get the first one. Constantly, okay? constantly turning towards other gods, constantly turning away from the God that they've been commanded to love with everything that they are. And so when we ask, man, how are we really doing? Like, they, like we got, you got to like kind of consider that for a minute. I just think we're really, really good at lying to ourselves. How are we really doing at loving the Lord our God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our strength? How are we doing at this. What happens in the Old Testament when the people of God fail at this? When they begin to love other things, when they begin to, when they begin to turn towards other gods and turn away from God, I mean, what, what does God do to them? What happens? I can't hear you. I mean, my ears are good, but... They have problems. They have problems. Your problems, yeah. But what does God do? Huh? Disciplines them? How? Hardship? Kind of. What you see him do, a lot of people think it's like hellfire and brimstone. He's like, gets angry, and he does get angry, for sure does. But what you see him do again and again and again is just say, fine. Fine. See how that works out for you. He removes himself, right? And, and Mary is magnificent in Luke 2, right? Mary bursts into this song when she finds out that she's pregnant with Jesus. And Martha comes and visits her. This is this is amazing song she bursts into. And in the song, she says, you have scattered the proud and the desires of their hearts. You said, you, you, know, you, want, you want to be prideful in that? Okay, fine. Let's see how it works out for you. When, when the people rebel against God and they defile the temple, here's what happens in Ezekiel 5.11. Therefore, as I live, declares the Lord, surely because you have defiled my sanctuary with all of your detestable things, with all of your abominations, therefore I will withdraw. Fine. That's fine. My eye will not spare. I will have no pity. I just leave. I'll send you into a season of spiritual famine. 
David understands this. He grasps this. In a spiritual season of a spiritual famine, he writes this in Psalm 13. He says, How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? God's not pouring out wrath on David. He's not pouring out wrath on his people. He's saying, all right. In their own pride, in their own strength, in their own ability is what leads to their destruction again and again and again and again and again and again. And so, friends, here's where I'm going with this. When I look at the state of the kingdom of God, the church, this outpost of the kingdom in the West, in the United States, in America, in our culture, in our context, what I see is a people who are spiritually starving. A people who, who have turned their face from God and God has said, okay, here we go again. A people who are so hungry and so desperate for him and yet are just stuffing themselves with all kinds of other things. And so how are we really doing at loving the Lord our God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind and all of our strength? How are we really doing? Like, I just don't think we're doing that well. Now, individually, some of you are doing better than others, and, but I'm saying as a whole, I think we're struggling. I think we're just in a season of spiritual famine because we've turned our face away from God to lesser things. I'm going to give you three ways that I think that we do this regularly. Um, and and maybe, maybe you're like, no, none of that's true for me. These are all true of me, all right? So maybe you're just all better than I am. And that's, in fact, you are all better than I am. But from, in me and my life, these are the three things that I kind of see. There's probably 300 things. But these are the three that I'm like, these are the most common. These are the most things that I see most in, in me and in us together. All right, the first one is this, right? We turn... Uh, to lesser gods to satisfy our hunger, right? We, we've, we turn, we've turned to lesser gods in order to satisfy our hunger, right? We are spiritually hungry people. And so we're not, we're not gonna just like not eat, right? We're constantly eating, right? We're constantly gnawing on lesser things. Like that's just who we are, right? Augustine talks about this idea, St. Augustine talks about this idea of uh, rightly ordered loves, Rightly ordered loves, and, and everything in life is right when God sits at the top of that list as our chief love, our chief delight, our chief affection, right? We, we, have, we have ordered loves, right? Some of you might think that you can love things equally. You cannot. You cannot, right? There is, it might be really, really, really close. You might have these two things in your life, and you're like, I really love these two things, but if you are hanging over a cliff and you're like holding on with them in one hand, right, and you got to grab one of those two things, you're going to pick one. That's the one you love more. When my wife and I were engaged, she had this dog, Jesse. And I used to ask her, I was like, hey, baby, like if Jesse and I were hanging over a cliff and you can only grab one of us, which one do you grab? She's like, you can't ask me that. I'm like, hey, there's my answer. <laughs> I knew it. I knew it, right? <laughs> got some love that a lot. I'm going to take care of that dog. Um, just kidding. There, you have a list of loves, and you don't think about it. Most of us don't think about this very often, but there's an order to that list, right? And most of us have got an, a list out of whack and out of order. We've begun to love lesser things more than our God. We're feasting on lesser things. 
and our lives spin out of control and into chaos and into, into worry and into, uh, man, just weariness when that list is out of order. But we don't know what to do. We're just like, ah, everything's just crazy, right? But I would challenge you to sit down and really consider, what do I love most? What are my top five? Right? Chances are, even if you put God as number one, right, you want God to be number one, but your actions are declaring something else. The actions of your life are declaring something else. Right? We all would say, God's number one in my life, that our actions are declaring something else. Where are you spending the, your thoughts? Are you loving with all your mind? Where are you spending most of your thoughts? It's going to tell you what's at the top of that list. Where are you spending your strength? Right? When he says strength or might, it's not, it's not necessarily physical strength, okay? Some of you are like, I don't have any physical strength. I hear you. Uh, listen, you saw, but you have strengths. We all have strengths. Maybe your strength is in your wealth, right? You've, just, just, you've been successful. You've got an amazing career, an amazing job, amazing retirement, whatever it is. Right? That's a strength. Is, is that, what is it declaring about what you love most? Maybe your strength is in your leadership. Like you're just the person that everybody kind of follows and kind of looks to. And like that's a strength of yours, right? So look behind you and look who's following and where are you leading them? And where does that fall on that list of loves? Like what are you using that towards? What love is that? Is getting the most of your strength. This is your personality, right? You're just, you're just kind of like, you are like the king or the queen of like your neighborhood. Everybody knows you. Everybody loves you. You got like a million followers on social media. No, no, no. Like, that's a strength. What are you using it towards? What's it declare about what you love most, right? What are, what's your strength? I don't know what your strength is, but you hide there's things that you're strong in. What, what thing on your list of loves is receiving the most of your strength? So receiving the most of your mind, receiving the most of your heart and your soul, what is it declaring? What is the actual order of your list of loves? What do you love most? For many of us, we're spending our days trying to fulfill this hunger, and we're gnawing on false promises of politics and culture, right? And the whole time, we're just kind of eating away, eating away, eating away, and my life is all about this thing, and everybody knows your life is all about this thing, and like you're constantly banging the drum of this thing. And the reality is, friends, it will be a decade. It'll be a decade, maybe more, before you kind of wake up and you realize, I am spiritually starving. I'm just malnourished. I've been eating away at this thing, and it's not satisfying. It's not filling me. And the whole time, you're like, I love God more than I love anything in the world. But the reality, you've never actually studied your heart. You've never studied your mind. You've never studied your soul. You've never studied your strength to really determine, oh, wait, no, I'm not. Like, this is the thing that I love most. And you've wasted 10 or more years of your life. And you wake up and you realize, man, I'm spiritually starving. And I, I don't want that for you. I want better for you. I want better for us as the people, as the citizens of the gospel. And we want to live our lives worthy of citizens of the gospel. Citizens of the gospel of Jesus. And so let's, let's do the hard work of tilling up the soil of our soul and of our heart and of our mind and of our strength and exposing the sin that lies there. Number two, uh, we reject community 
as a way of submission to the king. Right? We reject community as a way of submission to the king. We are really, 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 really bad at this. Like, constantly, okay? Um, we, we in the West, right, we pride ourselves on our ability to just get it done. Like, maybe I'm alone, okay? I pride myself on this. Like, if there's like a broken furnace at my house, I can YouTube that garbage and I can get it done, right? Save several hundred bucks right there. Like, baby, like, what's up now, right? I got like a broken lawnmower. I just YouTube that. Like, get it done, right? I, like, pride ourselves on that. Like, I can get it done. I don't even, I don't even help with my kids. Like, I'll, I'll, just, I'll figure that out. I'm going to get it done on my own, right? We, I can do this by myself. It's this hyper-individualistic culture in society, and it's constantly getting worse. It's constantly getting worse. We've forgotten that we, that community is a commandment in order for us to actually fulfill the greatest commandment. Like we need each other. We need each other, right? A few years ago, uh, the, the U.S. Army came up with this like terrible, terrible marketing strategy. They're like, uh, every commercial, they had these cool commercials of these like soldiers doing these cool things. And then they all end with like army of one. And I'm like, wait, what? What? And they realized along the way, this is a really bad idea. Like, they're like preying on our like hyper-individualism. They're preying on like our desire to be like, to be like G.I. Joe and like go out there and get it done. John Wayne, like be the one. Like they're preying on that. And then you have this army full of like men and women who like just think that they're the best. Like that's a really bad army, right? Like what's the general going to be doing? It's like, all right, buddy, like army of one, go get it done. Like, no, that guy's going to die. Like it doesn't work that way. And yet, when it comes to our faith, when it comes to our spiritual life and our ability to love God, right, we're people who are like, I'm just going to get it done. You're going to take on the evil one. Like, you're going to go toe-to-toe with Satan just like alone. I I got this. By yourself. The one who's constantly working on, on, on trying to manipulate your loves every day. He's good at it. You're like, no, I got this. Like, good, good luck with that. Good, good luck. And God, God, again, God's just like, okay, fine. Let me know how that works out for you again. We're people who just think we can do it alone. Constantly, constantly denying our God-given need for community. And so many of us, I, I've been doing this for so long, so many of us will like come to Flourishing Grace for a while or come to a church for a while, not just Flourishing Grace, but like, I can't find community and just leave. I'm like, well, no duh, you can't find community. Nobody, nobody's ever found community. You, you don't find community. Like, you're never going to find community because community is built, not found. Community is work, brothers and sisters. Community is years of sacrifice and work and, 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 and exposing yourself and laying out and becoming vulnerable, Right? Uh, Ginny Allen, who puts together that If Gathering conference for the women, all right, ladies, y'all signed up for that, right? Ginny Allen says this in, in one of her books. She said, and I, like, I read this and I was like, oh my, yeah, yes, vulnerability is the soil of community and the tears are the water that makes it grow. I'm like, oh, that's, yeah. Like, the, you want real community, like real genuine community. Vulnerability is the soil of that community and it's painful. That tears are gonna make that community grow. Tears are going to make that actually turn into a life-giving community. You need people in your life that you've given permission. I'm not saying you should do this to everybody in the room. Don't, that would be a bad idea. But you've given permission 
people in your life to expose your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. I need you to tell me what love's out of line here because I can't see it. And if you, if you can't admit that and you, and you can't, you don't have those people in your life that you've actually verbally given permission to, there's no way you're going to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. It ain't going to happen. It's just not going to happen. All right. I think my rant's over. <laughs> Community. We need to invite people into our lives to study our hearts, our minds, our strengths, to tell us what we love and help us love God with all of it. One more thing on community. It's not in my notes. Um, here, here's the thing. I, we, we, what's robbing us of community and, and what we don't realize, I, I listened to this, to this person talk about this uh, this week, right? The, the internet, when the internet came along, right, it, it, it started taking like 10 to 15 hours out of our week just spending on the internet, which is like, oh yeah, the internet's awesome. Like, it's good, right? And then along comes like the smartphone, which takes another like 10 hours a week out of our lives. And then along comes social media, which takes like another like five to 10 hours of a week. And suddenly, all of a sudden, like we got like 30 hours a week that are just gone. And when I think about community, I think about the seasons of my life where like deep, genuine community like formed in a short period of time with with the least amount of work. It was all before social media and smartphones like came along. I just, we've got to be a people who take this seriously and begin to identify these things and, and realize that we're just being robbed of the things that we need in order to spiritually feast on the right things. Anyways, moving on. We're weak in the Word. Right? We're just people who are just weak in the Word. We're people who, who have like not, don't, don't grasp our need for the Word of God, right? The Word of God's awesome, right? And as a church, as Christians, people of the kingdom, like, we're like, man, yeah, we stand every single Sunday. We're like, man, the Word has authority over our lives. We, we constrain our lives to it, not us. Yes, amen, we're all on board for that. I, yeah, absolutely, for sure. But we fail to realize is that the Word is going to drive our loves. It's going to drive our loves, and, and so, so it can be an authority over life, but that doesn't mean I have to read it every single day. It can be a good gift from God, but that doesn't mean I have to read it every single day. But if you want to love God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, and all of your strength, you've got to be in the Word because it's going to drive your loves. It's going to drive your love. Yes, you can, you can stand and you can, you can look at, you can see the wonders of God all around us all the time in, in, in the faces of your children, uh, in, in the sunsets, in, in, in the nighttime sky in the middle of the desert as you look out on the stars. And you can be filled with wonder and awe and amazement of God. But if you actually want to know him, if you want to know him, and you want to know his love for you, you ain't going to find it there. Th- those things might stir you towards it, but it's in his word. We must turn our face towards God through his word every single day. We're your people who are weak in the word. We're people who have rejected community as a way of submission to the king. And we're people who have turned to lesser gods to satisfy our hunger. So how do we fix this? Right? How, how do we fix how do we remedy these things? How do we actually become a people who love God more than we love anything else in the world, right? Uh, there's, there's a number of ways, right? There's a number of things we can do. Like we just talked about a lot of them, kind of the, the counter of those things. But here at Flourishing Grace specifically, I said at the beginning of this, I, wanna, I want this to kind of be a kind of a cultural 
building moment for us, what is our response to turning our face towards God at Flourishing Grace? And we would say, right, path groups have been designed to help us do this work. It's not going to be perfect. It's not going to do it perfectly. But it's designed to help us actually be people who live as good citizens of the gospel, turning our face towards God. Path groups are these small little communities. Some of you are from a different church. You've been, you just moved here. Um, you're like, oh, a small group. No, not a small group. Right? Not a small group. It's a rant for another day. Um, path groups are these small little communities, these micro-communities of three to four men, three to four women who are actively doing the work of tilling your heart, tilling your soul, tilling your mind, tilling your strengths, and exposing the sin that lies within, turning your face towards God through the Word and saying, let's go, let's love God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind, with all of our strength. Um, And the reality is these are not perfect men or perfect women who are just doing everything perfectly and just like all loving God completely and perfectly. He's the, no, no, no. These are broken men and broken women who have all said, I, this is my chief aim. I want God to be number one on my list of loves. Like that's what we're after. We want to be good citizens of the kingdom. Path groups is not this like quick fix to this problem. Like I've been spiritually starving myself for a decade. All I got to need is a path group. Nope, it's not it either, right? It's not it either. Like, and everybody who promises you that is lying. And we know this, right? We've all been promised that, like, if you just take this pill, tomorrow you're going to be skinny, right? It don't work that way, right? If you just follow this gym program, like, it's all good, right? And so we go to the gym, and we lift these super heavy weights, and we do all this stuff, and we, like, go home exhausted. And the next morning, and you look, look at yourself in the mirror, and you're just like, oh, it's the same as yesterday, right? I feel worse. Like, I'm sore, and I'm tired, but I look the same, right? So like, why am I doing this? But like, what you actually know and what I know is that when we're working out and when we're lifting weights and when we're running, like there's transformation taking place inside of our body that we don't see. And you only see it after a season of time. You work out hard every single day for six months and you, you look back at that picture of you then and you look at that picture of you now and you're like, okay, there's a difference there. Give that a few years. You're like, oh my goodness, like look at this guy compared to that guy, right? Most of us don't have that discipline. But the same is true for path groups, right? It's not gonna change overnight. Right? This, it's painful work of tilling the soul. Like that just hurts. I just got called out on something that I, I don't know, awkward and hard. And I don't, like, I don't know if people know this stuff about me. Some of you are like hardcore, extreme introverts, and I feel you. But you're like, I don't want anybody to like, Come in and know that, nah, it's just like, I'm gumped. <laughs> if you want to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, and all of your strength, we must, we must have community that puts them in front of all those other things, that helps expose those things. It's the only way this works. We must be a people who are desperate for that. And so, how, how do we... How, how do we do this? Um, two things. Number one, I mean, for those of you who are not in a path group, we accept a course coming up in a couple weeks, right? Uh, whatever it is, May, May 3rd. Um, it's a Tuesday night in a couple weeks coming up. Um, Brett uh, Turner, who is our minister of adult formation, leads this course. It's a four-week course. We just kind of 
break down all of these things that we've been told form, like, this is how you're going to grow spiritually. It's like, actually, it doesn't, no, it doesn't work. Like, and kind of show you like, how community forms us and how our phones and how social media are formed. Like, all of that's unpacked in that course, right? And he kind of breaks down all those things and says, all right, now that, we've get, now that we're on a level playing field, now how do we begin to input? So here we've removed these things from our life. Now how do we begin to actually input so that we can love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength? And so here's the thing about path groups. Um, if, you're, if you're not in one, and you're like, man, I, that sounds good. Like, I want, I, I want to be in one of those. What we have found again and again and again is that people who say, yes, I want to love God, but don't actually mean it, destroy path groups. Now, I, I'm not trying to be harsh, but this is the reality of it. Like, if, you, if you're like, no, I really want to be fit, right? But you don't want to put it in the work to being fit. Like, nobody's going to go work out with you. Like, you ain't going to have any workout buddies, Right? If you like do like one rep and you spend like 10 minutes on your phone, right? Like nobody's gonna be like, I'm gonna go work out with that guy. Like, n- no, it didn't work. Like, yeah, you want to be fit, but you don't wanna do the work of getting fit, right? Path groups are the people for the, are for the people who say, I wanna do the work of loving God with all of my heart, with all of my soul, with all of my mind, with all my strength. And if that's not true of you, don't join a path group. Don't join a path group. You've got to be ready to work, to till the ground of your life, to help till the ground of other people's lives. That's the only way that this actually works. But if that's true of you, you're like, man, enough is enough. I'm ready. I don't care what it takes. I'm, I'm, let's, let's go. Man, sign up for that path group course. It, it, it will change your life, I promise. Also, lastly, um, Many of us in the room are already in path groups, right? Most of Flourishing Grace is already in path groups. So if some of you like kind of tuned me out like five minutes ago, you're like, ah, path groups, I know what that is. I do that, all right? For those of you who tuned me out, right, because you're already in one, listen, for you, it's not about going to the path group course and signing up for path group. For you, it's about helping examine your group, right? There are certain things that maybe the Holy Spirit has laid on your heart and said, hey, you need to confess this. You need to kind of lay this bare. You need to expose this. And you're like, no, 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 I'm good. And you just need to like kind of send a text to your group right now and say, hey, hey, fellas, hey, ladies, there's something I need to tell you, right? Just like light the fuse on that bomb, right? Then it's too late, right? You can't like walk that back. It's like, what are you going to tell us? What are you going to tell us? What are you? It's like, no, all right. All right, just text them. I say, hey, there's something I need to talk to you about. Something important I need to tell you, right? There's something that God's laid on you that you know it's there, but you haven't allowed them to, to go to work on it. You gotta let them go to work on it. For others of you, right, you, you've said, man, I want this, but the reality is all of your behaviors and all of your actions are saying, man, you don't actually want it. And you just need to come and you just need to be vulnerable and say, man, there's some certain things in my group that are just broken. Like we're not, we're, we're just dealing with the same conversation every single weekend and week out. We're dealing with the same sin. And like, that's not okay. Like we need to deal with this, get this done. And we need to move on to the next thing. Because I want to love God with all my heart, with all my soul, with all my mind. And so we can't just keep talking about the same thing every single week. Let's deal with that. Let's move on to the next thing. Let's till them up more. I want to see more sin. I want to expose it. Like let's just get, get, get in here. Like, there's just certain things that, like, we just need to be more vulnerable with and engage on a deeper level. For some of you, man, we haven't been turning our face towards God through His Word, right? You just kind of talk, 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 talk. But, man, what, what is God teaching us in His Word? What's He showing us? Let's turn our face towards Him in His Word.
We just need to be a people who step up and speak up and kind of call out our grief in a healthy and gentle and gracious way. I mean, we need each other more than we realize. If we're going to be worthy citizens of the gospel, I need a community that's going to help me love God with all of my heart, with all of my soul, with all of my strength. And I need you guys to do that in my life. Help me. Show me. Let's be a people who live as worthy citizens of the gospel of our King, Jesus. Let me pray for you guys. Jesus, we come before you. Looking back at the, at the resurrection, it was just with delight and joy and a sense of calling, a sense of purpose, a sense of meaning. And we know that we, have been, that we are a new people a new people in Christ with a new kingdom, and a king who reigns and rules over us, who is worthy of all glory and all honor and praise, who is worthy to be loved with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind, with all of our strength. And so would you help us? Would you reform us as a people into people who live our lives worthy of the gospel of Jesus? Help us to be gospel citizens. Help us. We cannot do this without you. We cannot do this alone. We have failed again and again and again. Would you expose that sin? Would you call us to vulnerability and submission and obedience? Praise in your sweet name. In the name of Jesus, amen. Friends, let's go ahead and stand. Let's sing one last song together as we go this morning.